Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Did you know that Jesus is interested in you bearing fruit in your life? Jesus said in John chapter 15 at verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. In Matthew the 13th chapter, we have a parable, a series of parables. But today we're going to focus primarily on the parable of the sower. When you look at this particular parable, you see that Jesus can use this to convey some very powerful truths about the Word of God and ultimately what that Word does in our own life. Let's look primarily today at verses 18 through 23 because here Jesus interprets this parable. The first thing I want to call your attention to as we think about the parable of the sower and the theme or the question that we have asked is the seed of the kingdom producing fruit in your life. The first thing we need to do is to talk about the seed. The seed, as you well know, is the Holy Word. That is, we're talking about God's Word. Back in verse 3, Jesus said, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed. Now, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus, in this same parable, identifies the seed of the kingdom as the Word of God. And what Jesus is going to do is take this seed of the kingdom, the Word of God, and show how it can be deposited into various kinds of hearts. And really, there are four types of soil, which literally represent four types of hearts. And so with that in mind, we think about the seed. And there are some things that maybe we would do well to, to consider in light of the seed of the kingdom. Number one, I would suggest that the seed of the kingdom is powerful. Have you ever thought about how powerful one tiny seed is? That within that seed is the power to germinate life. We talk about how we could take a corn seed and plant that seed in the ground and in a very short period of time, what happens? Well, we know that eventually we can harvest corn. The same thing is true when we talk about the power of the seed of the kingdom. The seed of the kingdom can germinate within the heart of a person and ultimately produce life. When Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he said, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, being born again not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, by the Word of God. God's Word has the ability, the power to produce spiritual life. And so Paul would say in Romans 1, verse 16, 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, would say that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so the power of the seed of the kingdom. But then there is another thing. The purity of the seed of the kingdom. Now it might be the case that you would go and buy some seed and maybe that seed is pure, maybe it has contaminants in it. Well, when we talk about the seed of the kingdom, it is 100% pure. It's not tainted. It has not been corrupted. Now, granted, there are outside forces that could corrupt it. But if you simply take the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, and you do not add to nor take from this book, it's going to remain pure. That's why when Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, he could say, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. The purity of this seed, the beauty of the Bible, the beauty of the seed of the kingdom is that if we simply take this book and preach and teach the contents of this book, we will make New Testament Christians. We'll make the very thing that God intended to make, that is, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we talk about the power of the seed of the kingdom, the purity of the seed of the kingdom. But then also, there is the principle of the seed of the kingdom. Now, that principle is spelled out by Moses in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. It is a principle that, has, that was true at creation. It's true today. Well, somebody might ask the question, what is that principle? Here's what Moses said. Every seed brings forth after its own kind. Now, just think about this. If you take corn seed, you can't produce a bean or vice versa. If you take the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, and plant that in honest and good hearts, you haven't added to nor taken from, what are you going to produce? New Testament Christians. You're going to produce disciples of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because every seed produces after its own kind. That's why it's so imperative for us to not taint this seed, not, to not dilute this seed. There is a fourth principle that relates to the seed of the kingdom, and that is the permanency of the seed of the kingdom. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now again, we go back to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter illustrates the enduring power of God's word by using nature. He said, the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah chapter 40 at verse 8. The word of our God endures forever. Did you know that down through the span of time, there have been any number of individuals that have sought to the best of their ability 
to destroy this word. They have done everything within their power to undermine and circumvent this book that we call the Bible. And yet it is a permanent book. It is so permanent that one day we will meet it in the judgment. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verse 48. And so those are some some things that we need to think about in connection to the seed. But now, think with me, if you would, in the second place of the soil. Jesus is going to identify four types of soil. And as I said a moment ago, those different types of soil represent the different types of the heart, of the hearts and lives of mankind. And so with that in mind, let's just think for a moment about the fruitless soil. You see, there is fruitless soil and there is fruitful soil. There is fallow soil and there is fertile soil. There is barren soil, there is bountiful soil. Well, Jesus, first of all, identifies fruitless soil. Now, let me call your attention to this fact. There are four types of hearts represented here. Only one is productive. That ought to get our attention. I think Jesus here is conveying something very important to all of us. He's saying we need to take special care with the seed of the kingdom that is planted deep into our heart. So, the first kind of soil or the first kind of heart that Jesus talks about is the wayside soil. The wayside soil simply represents the hard heart. And so with that in mind, look at verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So here the picture is of a sower going out and he's sowing this seed and it falls by the wayside. Now it might be the case that you have planted seed in days gone by and you understand that there, there is certain ground that hasn't been turned. It hasn't, well, it's just beaten down and compacted. And that seed cannot get down into the soil and ultimately produce fruit. Well, Jesus here is talking about the kind of soil that has been beaten down, compacted, and thus will not receive the seed. Let me just suggest some reasons why this kind of soil is not fertile. Number one, because of doubt. Look again at what Jesus said. The seed is sown, the recipient does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches what was sown, snatches away what was sown in his heart. Did you know that the devil can do an extremely good job in the hearts and lives of people by sowing doubt? There are a lot of people in our world today that are skeptical. They're skeptical when it comes to the very fact, is there a God? 
You look around and see how many people in our world today will tell you they're not sure if there's a God. They certainly don't believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, maybe there was an individual who lived upon this earth named Christ or named Jesus. And maybe history bears that out, but to say he is the Son of God, well, that's altogether different. This idea that God, that God incarnate, created the world and all things therein, I just can't believe that. Just hard for me to buy into that. There are those who are atheistic. They do not believe in God. There are those who are agnostic. The, ag the agnostic simply affirms, I can't know whether there is a God or there is not a God. The psalmist said of the long ago, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14, 1. You see, based on the evidence before us, we ought to come away with the conclusion that there is a God. Two ways that God affirms He exists. Number one, creation. Number two, revelation. And yet the devil can sow seeds of doubt in the hearts and lives of people. There are any number of individuals in our society, in our country. Think about how enlightened our society is. Think of how many universities are in this nation, and yet we live amidst skepticism and unbelief. A second seed that the devil can sow in the hearts and lives of people is deceit. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, the Hebrew writer said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, so long as it is called today, lest you be deceived by the deceitfulness or be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is the writer saying there? You need to guard or protect your heart. Why? Because your heart can become hardened and calloused by a life of sin. Did you know that there are some individuals that have gotten to a point in time in life wherein they are beyond the scope of salvation? Why is that? Because their heart, their conscience, as Paul said, has become seared with a hot iron. In other words, it's become calloused. Let me give you a third seed. It is the seed of despair. Have you ever heard somebody talk about how they have experienced some type of very difficult situation in life. And based on a particular situation in life, it has literally turned their life upside down. I think about somebody who's lost a child or maybe lost a mate or lost their mother or father at an early age in life. As a result of that, they become despondent. And they hold God accountable for that. They blame God for their misfortune in life. You see, the devil can create despair in your life to the point that the seed's not going to, it's not going to germinate and bring forth spiritual life in you. So, first of all, the wayside soil. That's the hard heart. But then secondly, there is the rocky soil. 
This is what might best be described as shallow soil or superficial soil. Look at what Jesus says concerning this kind of soil or this kind of heart. But he who received the seed on stony places or rocky places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now here's the kind of person who, from an emotional vantage point, here's the gospel. And emotionally, they're drawn to the truth of Almighty God. They hear the love story of the cross. They hear what Jesus can do in life, how he promises pardon, how he promises peace, how he promises to stand with them. And so they immediately respond in gratitude. The problem, however, is they lack spiritual depth. They don't have a good root system. Now you can go out here and you can plant seed in the soil, but you and I both know that if that, if that seed does not begin germinating and developing a good root system underneath that soil, if it's not fertilized and watered over a period of time, what's going to happen? That, that seed, that, that crop, that plant is going to wither and die. Well, the same thing's true with somebody who obeys the gospel. Here's somebody who hears the word of God. They respond immediately with joy to the gospel of Christ, but they fail to develop a good root system. Now Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, those who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What's the problem Paul's talking about? He's talking about somebody. He's talking about people that do not have a good root system. There's a good example of this in Hebrews chapter 5. The Hebrew writer talks about those who by reason of time ought to be teachers. He said, but you have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Here were people that should have known the fundamentals of Almighty God. That is the fundamentals of the truth. And yet, rather than being able to sit down with somebody else and teach them the truth of God, they need somebody to sit down and reteach them the ABCs of Christianity. That's why it's so imperative for us to make sure that we are developing roots deeply within our heart. I like the psalmist in Psalm 1-2 when he said he delighted in the word of the Lord both day and night. Developing a good root system. Well, there is a third type of soil, a third type of heart that Jesus talks about. Look now, if you would, at verse 22. And before I go on, let me just say this. The problem with the previous seed, the previous heart, is that that individual lacked a good root system. They lacked conviction, commitment. The only way to do that is to, is to engage in spiritual things, to develop that root system. But note, if you would, this third type of barren heart. Verse 22, He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. What's the problem here? Jesus now is talking about a crowded heart. In other words, here's somebody, they've just got too many things going on in life and thus that seed does not have the ability to grow, to mature, and to bring forth fruit. It's choked out. The thorns choke it out. Let me just pause here and say this. When you look at these three different types of soils or hearts, Jesus is saying you better be very careful when it comes to your heart. Solomon said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. You and I, we have the responsibility of maintaining the right kind of heart. Jesus here is talking about the kind of heart that becomes cluttered, that becomes crowded, and literally chokes out the Word of God. You remember there was an occasion in the life of Jesus when he was in the home of Mary and Martha. And on that occasion, he chided Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you are concerned about all these things in life. Mary, however, has chosen the good part. Martha was concerned about all these external things. Now Jesus is saying that if you and I are not careful, we can allow the cares of the world, the things of this world, to crowd out that seed. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. You can't do it. You can't hold on to the world with one hand and God with the other hand. It's not possible. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are not to be conformed unto this world, but rather we are to be transformed by the Word of God. James would say, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. John would say, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, he said, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. The cares of this world, the things of this world, whether we realize it or not, will bring us down spiritually. And sadly, there are people that allow the cares and the anxieties, the things of this world, to impede their service to Almighty God. And then Jesus identifies not just the cares of this world, but the deceitfulness of riches. There is nothing wrong with money. There is nothing wrong with being rich. But if we allow the deceitfulness of riches or the riches of life to supplant our relationship to God, then we have a real problem in life. Paul would say, They that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. All Paul is saying there is this. If you get so caught up in trying 
to earn a dollar in this life. And that becomes the focal point of your life. You're going to destroy your spiritual life, your relationship with Almighty God. It's going to choke out your relationship to the Lord. Now, having said all of that, let's note the fruitful soil. That is, the fertile heart. Look, if you would, at verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that that seed that falls on honest, on an honest and a good heart, a noble and a good heart, it's going to yield fruit. How can you and I ensure that we have the right kind of heart? How can we make sure that our heart is productive? Let me give you four ways that you and I can ensure the productivity of our heart. Number one, we've got to be a student of the Word. There is no way that you and I can disassociate ourselves from this book that we call the Bible and stay strong in the Lord. You just can't do it. There is no way that you and I can produce fruit in our lives without the seed of the kingdom being a part of our lives. It's got to be integral. It's got to be an integral part of life. Again, I would make reference to the psalmist who meditated on the law of Jehovah both day and night. The psalmist in Psalm 119, 97 said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Paul counsels us, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, to be students of the Word of God, to spend time studying and meditating on this great book. Secondly, we must be steady in our worship. You and I, if we're going to produce fruit in our spiritual lives, we've got to be people who are concerned about worshiping God on a regular basis. Worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. Worship affords us the opportunity to bow in the presence of God, to give Him the homage that He's due. And God is due our homage. We ought, to, we ought to look forward to opportunities to come, to worship, to bow down in the presence of God, to honor and praise His great and holy name. The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. If you want to make sure that you are producing fruit in your spiritual life, Avail yourself of every opportunity to worship God on a regular basis. Number three, you and I must be interested in serving and working. There is no way that we can produce fruit in our spiritual lives if we're not serving and working in the kingdom of God. Think about this. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are instructed to be zealous for good works. Titus 2 at verse 14. We are to be ready unto every good work. Titus chapter 3 at verse 1. We are to show ourselves a pattern for good works. Titus 2 verse 7. We are to be careful to maintain good works. Titus 3 at verse 8. What's Paul saying? He's saying that you and I as children of God must be working in the kingdom of God. That is, we have to be laboring. Read Matthew 25. Where Jesus talked about, I was hungry, and what did you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was sick and in prison, and you came unto me. All Jesus is saying is that just as he served, we must serve. And then fourthly, 
And finally, I would suggest, and this coincides with this idea of service and work, we must be soul winners. There is no way that you and I can bear fruit without striving to the best of our ability to be soul winners. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go back and look at the early church. When persecution swept the early church, they went everywhere preaching the word. They took seriously the Great Commission. Solomon said, he who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11, verse 30. You and I have the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel of Christ. Think again of what Jesus said. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God is interested in us being bearers of good fruit. What better way to bear good fruit in life than to lead somebody to Christ? What are you doing to lead somebody to the Son of God? What are you doing to share the good news of Jesus Christ? All of us must be concerned about that. So here's the question. Is the seed of the kingdom producing fruit in your life? Only you can answer that. Now, the Lord's interested in your heart. And He is interested in you as one of His disciples bearing fruit. You and you alone must make that decision. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.